Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Hello out there in Radio Land. It is I, your host and moderator for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Background Politics from Studio A and Podcast Village Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Joining me as they do every Tuesday afternoon when we do the first show. He is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who served under last count four presidents. He's the one we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And behind the glass, Rob the Engineer keeping us happy uh, and and keeping us in compliance. Thank you. What's going on, Rob? Things are good. It's a packed cage this week. It, it is a packed cage. We have like we have like studio. Do we call them audience or or? Uh, I think you'll have to have a back groupies listeners groupies. tweet to get into the studio audience. That, you, you know what? I think we're gonna have to start doing that. <laughs> I think we're going to have to have contests. Hey, be the fourth caller, and you can get a studio pass to Backroom Politics. I like it. I, I think we'd only have four calls. Make a donation, and we'll put you on the air. That's right, yeah. Or or just or just uh, just don't be stupid. Anyway, uh, let's talk. There's a lot to talk about. What we're going to talk about right now is the uh, as of this recording, there is uh, breaking news coming out of Venezuela. The situation in Caracas, Venezuela, which has been an ongoing humanitarian and political mess for the better part of, what, Alan, about eight months, almost a year? Well, uh, for several years, but particularly intense in, uh, over the last year. Yeah. Yes. So uh, today, uh, the American and Western recognized leader of Venezuela, Juan Guaido, uh, in conjunction with his mentor and longtime political activist Leopardo, Leo, Leopoldo Lopez, they have started a rally inside the streets of Caracas, the capital of Venezuela, which has now escalated into a full-fledged confrontation. Uh, the there are troops that are backing uh, the I don't know what you would call him, current president. Uh, opposition leader, current leader, uh, Nicolas Maduro. He and his factions are, in fact, fight. There have been reports of tear gas, uh, live fire weapons in the streets of Caracas, rock throwing. But this is possibly what they are calling the beginning of Operation Libertad, uh, which is what the current ambassador to the U.S., who is a supporter of Guardo, says is going on. Why is this important? There are so many reasons. There are so many reasons just for the Venezuelan people. There are so many reasons for the the region, for South America, and for the Western Hemisphere, and for the globe in total. Let's start with the, the macro. It, is it shocking to you, Alan Moore, that it's taking this long for there to be some sort of uprising against what could only be called 
the iron fist of Nicolas Maduro and his socialist regime. Well, remember, uh, Maduro is the protege of uh, Hugo Chavez, Hugo Chavez, who was who first rose to power in 1999, and he was a uh, a populist leader who is enormously popular with uh, with with the lower classes in a country that, and every time I see this and say this, it seems hard to, to believe that 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 Venezuela as a country has the largest oil reserves of any country in the world, bigger bigger than Saudi Arabia, bigger than the U.S., bigger than Russia. Um, Bigger than Nigeria, it's it's just staggering how much oil they have and how much potential exists in that country, and how much potential was wasted by uh, first of all Chavez and his efforts to become the leader of South America and his financial largesse on the one hand giving away so much in so many places and supporting so many other uh, similar political causes was horrendously wasteful at the same time they nationalized all the properties uh, the oil properties so that all the expertise some of much of it um, Venezuelan but also a lot of it American and and right. and from other countries, we thus began the steady disintegration of the ability to take advantage of right. their oil. But here's the question I've always had since we're talking about Chavez and then we'll work into what's happening today is what has always surprised me is the, the rapid descent of Venezuela into the dark ages, which is what many who we've talked to down uh, in Venezuela, literally calling it now, the rapid descent under Nicolas Maduro versus why didn't this happen during Hugo Chavez's rule? What is the difference between Chavez and Maduro? Is it a cult of personality? Is it a different mindset? Or Because it looks like just a continuation well, I, I of think, the same socialistic policies. I, I think it speaks more to how well off they were at the beginning and how long it took for the deterioration, for the effects of of Chavez's uh, uh, horrendous economic policies. The, the, Chavez also had this popularity that was extraordinary. And, and there was a lot of willingness to forgive, and he took much uh, of, of the then-existing wealth and began to distribute it. The problem is they weren't creating the new wealth that the country had the uh, the, the resources uh, to create, but they they ran off the wealthy classes. They ran off the expertise that 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 knew how to a get the oil out and refine some of it and and sell it in the region, um, both the raw material as well as refined products, um, and and in so and by running off the their the. Their most valuable asset in terms of oil, they ran off expertise in the financial sector, in other in other significant business sectors. Anything that was working very well, Chavez began, and he couldn't do this overnight. It took years to do this, and 
It took years for the accumulated negative impacts of all of his changes to catch up with what was going on. Chavez uh, died a few years ago. Right. And he died. He when he died, things were crumbling all around. They just hadn't totally collapsed. But and and, and Chavez was still throughout that time uh, maintained an enormous popularity in the lower classes. Um, because they had things that they was had never a, had before. Was it a, was it a fake populism that Chavez brought? Or well, I don't think it was. I don't think it was fake. I think it was failed um, in terms of the long term. What, what's, your, was, what's the difference in your view? Well, he did a lot of things for that those lower classes, but he did them in a way that did horrendous damage to the underpinnings economically and infrastructure-wise of that country. So he took from the rich, if you will, and gave to the poor, but in a way that was not able to sustain the economic engine that had produced uh, so much opportunity for so many. It's just that it didn't it it it, it left out uh, a lot of people, and he was he Chavez was was popular to the end. Nicolas Maduro, who who replaced uh, Chavez, who was his handpicked successor, did not have the 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 gravitas, the, the charisma, the the credibility, um, and and it, by the time he took over. The damage was done. The crumbling had occurred, and he didn't really have a clue as to what to do, but he also didn't have this ongoing popularity. Right. He, he had the loyalty of the military right. um, uh, because he did it, He was at least smart enough to know that if you're, if you're going to succeed in any kind of, of populist uh, or, or, for that matter, other, uh, other form of government— you better have the military with <laughs> yeah. you. So we will take care of the military, even as their now, families right. are 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 hurting. Now, and their here, neighbors. here's going back to the events of today. What we're hearing right now at Caracas is that there is a divided military in the streets and in the uh, military hierarchy in Caracas, Venezuela, right now. It is a very delicate situation. It is a uh, it is a very tense situation. The, the the Venezuelan economy, for lack of a better term, Alan, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's pretty much in the crapper. Uh, it, I <laughs> that, mean, that's one scientific way to put yeah, it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> laugh it up, chuckles. I see you laughing in there, Rob. That that is a very economically technical. You'll, yeah, he's laughing. Four presidential administrations. Yeah, exactly. That's Thank right. you. Thank you. He served four presidential administrations. Uh, speaking of which, Alan, the, the question now becomes, is with the just broken economy in Caracas, we know that the American government has not gotten involved militarily, but there's obviously now just a, a we're at the starting line just waiting for the green light to go in there and provide economic stability, what possible ways are do what possible tools do the American government have to stabilize and even boost up, prop up the Venezuelan economy, or can it? Is it too far gone? Well, this is a real challenge. Uh, there's no stomach in America, um, or, or or that matter for the region, for us to have any kind of military involvement. 
Um, we have a lot of expertise, um, but it, nobody's looking to America to come in and take over control of institutions in in uh, in Venezuela. Um, this has got to be led by Venezuelans and by other Latin uh, countries. The United Nations can play a role. Um, the U.S. is the is the regular. Um, demon in in political movements in in South America and and elsewhere for that matter blame when all things are going bad blame America blame blame America for for sanctions blame America for undercutting blame America for dis, uh, uh, for disturbing elections so we have to be a we have to be really careful not to become uh, the the successful uh, successfully become the the target and 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 um, and Chavez did this. Maduro tried to do this. Blame America. Blame America. We we watched Fidel Castro and his brother uh, and the, the Cubans do this for generations. Right. Um, and we usually give them enough ammunition that they have, they have, they have a point that we don't have clean hands typically in these cases. The, what what the world needs to, to I think stands ready to do if there's a level of peace in the streets, and 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 we may see a lot more, um, uh, a lot more shooting in in the streets uh, before we're done. There, right. there are some military people who apparently back um, Guaido, and and uh, not the kind, not the it, from what we what the reporting has been is the 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 military leadership has continued to back, back Maduro. Maduro, albeit without enthusiasm. But until they change sides, um, or enough of them change sides, that you have a civil war inside right. the military, as it were, then then Maduro was going to be able to to prevail. What what happens, of course, is what there's a there's called for tomorrow. I think a massive demonstration in the streets that Gua- yeah. that, that that Guaido, who who remember is the the head of the of the parliament of the elected assembly, um, and is uh, is the recognized head of state by the U.S. and a host of other countries. But but this it, is a, but this is an assembly that has been officially dissolved by Maduro, but not hasn't devo- dissolved itself. Correct. Correct. So so the, we we we've got we've got two. Two forces, two people claiming to to head uh, to be the, the the head of state, and around the the world, different countries saying uh, we recognize the, the the new guy Guaido, or we still recognize Maduro. He actually actually was elected, right. albeit with with many many questions about the legitimacy <laughs> of that election. So so we're, what we're going to have to have is a unless. Unless Maduro try, d- decides that that he needs to cut some kind of a deal with with a third country and get out, one has to assume that that he has moved financial resources out of the country right. that, that could that can pay his and his family's bills for a long time um, using the the formula we so often see in cases like this then he needs a con- a third country where he could land um, otherwise you you're you're likely to have conflict and a sort of a winner take all and somebody dies or somebody is thrown in jail and 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 we we could very well see armed conflict in the streets even today there are reports that a that a that a government uh uh 
armored personnel carrier ran through a crowd and ran over people. Right. We, we don't have any casualty reports that I've seen, but uh, it, it's hard to imagine but that there aren't some significant but numbers. But here's, here's the thing about and, and you know, we, we've talked about the important role. There was a time in the late, in the mid to late 90s where Venezuela was very much an economic powerhouse in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, the amount of energy and the involvement in energy that the National Oil Company, uh, you'll hear us refer to PDVSA, which stands for uh, Petróleos de Venezuela SA, which is the nationally owned uh, Venezuelan oil company. PDVSA at one time was the largest oil trading partner with the U.S., uh, and when it went down, Canada kind of took over. I don't think America realizes the strategic importance and the value of having a healthy democratic economy in Caracas, in Venezuela, because that is a country that traditionally would have supported and can, and, and did support uh, valuable strategies in, in in the Western Hemisphere with the U.S. I mean, Venezuela is a classic example of, of a country with uniquely rich natural resources, oil. Uh, you look at the other super rich oil-dependent uh, countries around the world, um, and, and you see a whole host of problems. They think they've got their problems solved. The, 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 of course, they immediately run up against what do you do to sustain your economy and how do you keep the, if, if you will, the, the, the masses happy? Wealth is, typically is, is accumulated among some subset of uh, people in power. Uh, the more there, the, the 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 more wealth there is, the greater the challenge to distribute it in reasonable ways, fair ways, um, useful ways for the long term. And and I think that that what ha- what what was so key to Chavez's rise was the fact that here we are, the, our country Venezuela, with all of this wealth, and we've got got all of the all of this power, all of this influence, all of these rich people, and you folks. You rural um, indigenous farmers, how have you benefited? You haven't. The, the, your costs of living, of buying the basics, has gone up, and your ability to pay for it has has has, has held static or or, or declined. And even. you're talking under a Maduro regime, Abs- yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, but but that's what was going. That's what opened the door for a Chavez and his populist movement to become elected. It was a national movement. We had one like that in Bolivia, right? Um, where where there was accumulated wealth that. That was on paper great for the country, but it left out a majority of the people. And so uh, uh, Chavez was able to tap into that mentality. The problem was there was so much wealth and his vision was redistribution rather than figuring out how to sustain it. Reinvestment. And, yeah. And 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 it was a giveaway, 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 and then to increase his influence in the region, give away money to Cuba when as 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 Russia right. uh, declined as a as a uh, supporter as a financial now, here, supporter. Here's the funny thing about it is you know we we see the news reports, we see 
the American government anti-Venezuela, you know, the the sanctions, for example, which, you know, I, I would have loved to have had uh, our friend David Mortlock on the show today to talk about that. But I don't think Americans realize that we are around PDVSA and the Venezuelan oil company on a daily basis. Biggest example is PDVSA is the whole owner of Citco. Citco Petroleum here in the United States is a wholly owned subsidiary by PDVSA. And the recent in recent years that has made uh difficult trappings for legal legal scholars and uh administration officials is how do you separate the two? Can you and, you know, does the money that flows through Citgo, does that go back into the pocket of somebody like a Maduro or a Chavez? Uh, it, it, does, it, it doesn't bother the day-to-day Americans, but is this something that we should look at down the road as being a, a problem as far as, you know, having a U.S. company owned by a regime like Nicolas Maduro? Well, it, you know, it, it, it all depends on the facts and circumstances. There, there's, there's, as far as I know, no evidence that 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 the 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 interests in America, which are typically run by Americans, they just have ownership, um, uh, foreign ownership. In this case, uh, the, the the foreign owner being. Uh, the National uh, Oil uh, Company of uh, Venezuela, a corrupt government uh, of, of another country, um, but but as long as they're not breaking laws in America and are another source of uh, refined oil products and where people can go and 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 fill up at a competitive price, um, we're happy to have, if you will, the uh, uh, the, the additional supply in our market it helps when there's disruptions elsewhere as we're 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 about to move we're moving aggressively now to sanction foreign sales of Iranian oil so that has affected the oil markets and made them nervous we don't get Iranian oil into the US but but whenever you take some oil out of the international marketplace, it has an effect on everything. And, and Venezuela's output has declined sharply and markedly because of the deterioration of their uh, ability to, to get their oil out of the ground, get it refined, get it right. into the world markets. We've got uh, three minutes left in this segment. Uh, why... <clears throat> Why is military force? I, there's a lot of people uh, calling for the use of military intervention in Venezuela by the U.S. Uh, why is the use of military force in Venezuela a bad idea? There is no public support for it. As you accurately said, there's a little understanding in America of what Venezuela is. Of, of the risk it presents and has presented in the region, of the importance of keeping its supply of oil and refined oil products like gasoline right. into the international marketplace. It's not something people think about, and it seems like it's a long way from here. And we've intervened enough in enough different situations and and it's hard enough to get get Americans to support the idea especially in a recent experience to to operate militarily against terrorists against known terrorists 
And no one has accused Venezuela of that, not even of significant funding of terrorism or drug cartels, for that matter. Um, now, they have, they have financially supported some 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 states that have that that, that have been involved there, there's in been accusations stuff. that they've supported the FARC in Colombia uh, and other socialist radical communist armies in South America. Yeah, they just don't rise to the same level of concern. Even if they did, there's little stom- so, there's little stomach in America for sending troops in anywhere. Here's my take on it: is I I don't if if Guardo is to be successful as a leader in South and Latin America, if he even gets the hint of the stink of being a puppet of the U.S., his credibility will tank. He's got what I've told everybody that I've talked to the subject about and when asked about it, I've always said that in order for Guardo to be the true, legitimate, uh, independent leader of Venezuela that will have true credibility in the global community, we cannot intervene militarily because then all it does is look like the old 1970s and 1980s Latin American puppet regime of the U.S. government, and that will be the death nail of uh, Aguardo administration. Does that well, seem he, accurate? Well, it, 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 I think I think <clears throat> that. Or am I being too harsh? Well, you're putting too much emphasis, I think, on the military piece, um, which I just think is not an underactive consideration. But it, but I think you make a good point. That is, Guaido does not want to be perceived as our guy, as out meaning the U.S. guy, the U.S. puppet or anything else. And that can come through economic help, through influential uh, uh, sort of smart people who would go in, even international Funding institutions. through organizations well, like USAID, well, TDA. Yeah, but the, that's the, the, the— Or does that the, still have what, stink on it? What, I don't think that does. I mean, there was a big question about, about U.S. aid— about about food aid and and medical aid that was in, available across the Venezuelan border in Colombia and and Maduro said no you can't get it you can't go across and get it which was just insane in light of the the huge shortages that that they had but no if it's more if the IMF World Bank go in to try to provide some of the institutional support and 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 expertise. Um, Guaido has to be careful not to be seen as a as uh, perceived as the tool of of wealthy, organized, developed countries in the world, not just the U.S. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to continue to monitor the situation, and we will update it on our Twitter site. Uh, if you follow us at Backroom Politic on Twitter, we'll keep an eye on that and give you the latest. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the president, his finances, and now it's getting ugly and legal. This is Backroom Politics from Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in two minutes. That's the way I feel today. My heart is aching because he's making a plaything of my devotion. That's the way I feel today. Without any reason or a word to say, that man turned his keys in, he packed and went away. What good is living? I'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean. That's the way I feel today. 
that's the way I feel today. My heart is aching because he's making a plaything of my devotion. That's the way I feel today. Without any reason or a one to say, that man turned his keys in, he packed and went away. What good is living? I soon be giving my body up to the ocean. That's the way I feel today. I From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. I really do love that bumper music. That is fantastic. The opening music, the bumper music. Rob, you're a genius. Uh, We're back here with the best political talk show you've never heard of. We are going to change gears a little bit. We've been keeping an eye on what's been going on down in uh, Venezuela in the capital of Caracas. But we're going to shift now and talk about another ugly fight that's brewing here in your own nation's capital of Washington, D.C., and that is the fight regarding the the president, his finances, Congress, and apparently now they're getting all uh, torty, I guess. Is, I don't even know if that's the right legal term, but... They're suing all. They're throwing paper around this town, uh, like paper airplanes. Uh, Alan Moore, let's start off with the basic question, real quick. Here is this is to me. This seems like a stupid fight. Everybody else has put out their uh, taxes and their financials historically. Some have gone. I mean, I remember. I think it was what was it? What Steve Forbes. When he was a presidential candidate, put out 10 years of his financials. Uh, this has been going on forever. Trump seems to be the only one fighting it. And now that they've been subpoenaed by Congress, he is now going to the courts to sue right now out of the two banks that were subpoenaed. It looks like Deutsche Bank complied, and now the Trump family is suing Deutsche Bank. Is this a stupid stupid war to be fighting or is it's not why why okay so first of all let's not conflate tax returns from the past with what the congress is asking now which is subpoenaing bank records of of the the a couple of banks that the trump organization has been uh, operating and working with for apparently generations deutsche banking capital one so the there is no legal re- on the tax question there is no legal requirement that a that a candidate for president release tax returns for a current year prior year any number of prior years most do it it it's it's a relatively new phenomenon it hasn't been going on for generations but it has but, but, but since most the Nixon recent, administration this oh, has been going on well for that that's true um which is not that long, and it was voluntary since Nixon because it became a political issue. So people release tax returns because the public and the media demanded it, and if it, if the the information wasn't forthcoming, and sometimes it was delayed. Uh, we all remember Mitt Romney when he was candidate. Right. He held back for quite a long time, generating some McCarthy-like accusations from the then Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid that he didn't pay any taxes. Just all kinds of stuff, and 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 so people, for the sake of 
their credibility as candidates tended to do it. No legal requirement whatsoever. There's talk about trying to make it a, a requirement. Um, it, it never has been. So that's a backdrop, and the and it's true it that the that the Congress is trying to get their hands on Trump's tax returns. The public didn't care enough about it to uh, to elect his opponent. They elected him anyway. Um, but d- doesn't the public at least deserve the right to see the the man who heads up their government, the man that they, that they are entrusting with the economic policies and the enforcement of laws, isn't their expectation correct to say, hey, you know what, I want to make sure this guy's on the up and up? Well, <laughs> you make it <laughs> that they have no right. They have no legal right. The law is clear. There's no duty. There are people who would like to make it a duty. It has been a political obligation now, you know, for 50 years. But um, that doesn't make it that, – that, that does not uh, turn it into a right. Um, and, if, if they want to, and if they want and to if, – and if the country and the public feels that strongly about it, then they should pass a law or voters should simply say, I won't vote for somebody who doesn't but, show, show me but, his or her tax returns. Tax returns, having said that – are somewhat useful, but they don't give all the information that 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 one needs. There's a, there's a lot of mythology about that. Now, it, 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 me, I'm agnostic on the question. I don't have I, I, I really, yeah, absolutely. I it doesn't. You don't think that the president should share? I think at least his tax returns. I think that a presidential candidate should share, but I'm not comfortable. Um, uh, changing the law to require it. The voters uh, are, still get to decide. There's a lot of pressure to do so. I and, and and I know enough about taxes and tax returns and what information is and is not there to know there are lots of holes in 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 somebody's tax returns. Um, I remember once. Um, uh, for a, a candidate, so at one point I was the staff director of the Senate Commerce Committee, right. and we had uh, a lot of nominations come before that that committee for for important jobs, and we would need to see tax returns, and we would vet them privately. There was nothing public about it. We would look privately to make sure there wasn't anything weird. And I remember one person who happened to be particularly wealthy. And that person's tax returns took up two full file folders. Okay. It was an extraordinary uh, monstrosity of, of tax return. Um, and I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I don't – I think that, that it was useful in our case because we were trying to protect the institution um, to have a, a, a couple of people look at it, but not the country, but is not this public. A slippery, but are, are we getting into a slippery slope situation where – I mean – to, to give the president his fair due, I can understand saying, hey, look, I want to see your taxes. I, I want to see your taxes to make sure you're on the up and up. I think that the American public has a, has a right to. Uh, but did Congress cross a line when it subpoenaed the records from Capital One and Deutsche Bank? Okay, so so now we move Regarding on. his... 
Remember, right now there's a fight going on. The the, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, Richard Neal from Massachusetts, has has requested of the Treasury to be able to see the president's tax returns, uh, and under a law from the 1930s, I believe, that allows the 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 chairman of the the House, Bank, House Ways, and, Ways means and Means or the Senate Finance Committee to request and see any tax return in America. It's a curious law. I don't remember the origins of it. Um, he was trying to invoke that law. I think there does have to be some kind of basis for making the request. Uh, so far, the, 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 the Treasury is resisting, um, and, the, and the reasons given by, by uh, Congressman Neal are bizarre. They're bogus, in my, in my humble opinion. So, so but the law is a law. The, I mean, the, it's the a law, law on his side. So, so we'll see. We'll see. The law, you know, the law is the law, but the law says it doesn't just. It, it there is a little bit of language in the law that tells what, wh- why you can ask, and the notion is to make sure the laws are working properly. And what Richie Neal said is he wants to be sure that uh, that that the law. Uh, regarding presidential filings of tax returns um, is, is is adequate. It doesn't. His reasoning doesn't add up. Having said that, that's being litigated separately. The the the, the so far, Treasury's resisted. The president has said he's going to resist. His lawyers have said. They will never get those tax returns, and it's going to play out in the court. So that it's a subpoena now, from, or, or it's a request. It's a request and, from and, and finance, it, from Ways and Means. Everything has to play out in the court. So right, let's, let's, talk jump, about, let's jump to the. the well, to let's, talk, request. let's talk about let's talk about the subpoenas that came out of uh, House Financial Services yep. and the Intelligence yep. Committee. Yep. So that that said that we want to see the financial records as part of. The ongoing, as Jerry Nadler put it, legitimate oversight of Congress to the executive branch. Did did the Judiciary Committee, the House Ways and Means, and uh, Intelligence Committee and Financial Services, did they cross the line by subpoenaing these records? So. You know, you and I have the benefit in discussing this of of, of neither one of us being a lawyer, so right. we can be experts. Right. Um, and we and play it, we play it, it on the on the it, podcast it, very very it would well. Be, it would be nice if if in this particular case we had some actual legal expertise. Here's my sense. Here's my hunch. Right. So, so we all know from television, if not from other experience, that to get if you a, invoke Law and Order. I swear to God. No, no, no. To, <laughs> it, 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 it's multiple shows where constantly. The p- police are trying to subpoena information, and they have to get a judge to sign a subpoena. And for a judge to sign a subpoena, there to, has to be probable to, cause. There has to be some kind of probable cause. Right. So it's a whole legal protection. And and regularly in TV shows, there'll be friendly judges who sign, and there'll be other judges who say, "You haven't made the case. I can't sign this. You need to give me more. I'm not going to let you uh, violate uh, their uh, civil rights." Right. So they're they're legal protections. And and the whole notion is that the that the system is supposed to be um, blind. Okay, there should be no partisanship or politics. In the case of this of the House, so we, we've got this Mueller report. Mueller subpoenaed hundreds of thousands, millions of documents that they've all gone through, including all sorts of financial stuff, and 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 drew from them and drew conclusions and so on and so forth. Now you've got the House. That wants to go dig, 
fine, fair enough. It's how the system works. They have subpoenaed um, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of records, but a, but a congressional subpoena is different, in my understanding, from a judicial uh, branch subpoena. In that, the sanctions for failing to uh, to comply are pretty weak. They the Congress can hold you in contempt, but they can't arrest you and throw you in jail. They can yell and scream the, the and the one time we you. need Dan Lipner on this show and he's he's AWOL on us. Good okay. God. Well, f- after all these years, at least it's f- nice to know that at least finally once we needed him. Um, <laughs> That's true. But, That's very true. But, but I but, but I but I, think, but I think that I mean, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. I mean, the as Senate staff, mm-hmm. When you worked on the Senate, you had the ability to also subpoena. You we, you had the you had oversight capability. You had the ability to investigate as a committee. Are you telling me that the the ability to subpoena if 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 you if you are subpoenaed by the Senate or you are subpoenaed by the House, you are called to show at that time and date. If you do not, you'll be found in contempt of Congress. Mm-hmm. That is a jailable offense under the law. Now, is it a matter of it's technically a violation of the law, but who's going to enforce it? I'm not sure it's a jailable offense. It's not? I'm not sure it is. Is it? I don't think so. It, it, it It's problematic. It's challenging. I think you then have to move into the courts. The Congress can't just come and, 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 and get you and take you and arrest you. It's not irrelevant that they subpoena stuff. What I what what is what, what's brand new in all of this is that you're, you're having subpoenas by one party that are opposed by the other party. And and there are subpoenas of the president of the United States. So there's this heavy heavy layer of partisanship in this in this whole process not only that um the the subpoenas apparently are c- covering not just deutsche bank's um uh interactions with the president or the trump organization but apparently they're asking for for any and all information about transactions with anybody else in the trump family right. his daughter his sons his son-in-law it it is it is a fishing expedition of extraordinary breadth as i understand so, it so here's the trick in 1857 congress enacted a law that made contempt of congress a criminal offense against the united states it is a jailable felony if you are found in contempt of Congress. Now, when was the last time Congress used contempt of Congress to jail a subject? I th- my recollection is they sent the sergeant at arms sometime in the last 50 years to get somebody. Maybe Are you looking at it now? Yeah. Just, okay. Yeah, so it's, why it's, it's, it's why 19, 1935. Oh, 35. 1935 okay. was the last time that Congress arrested and detained a witness that was found in contempt. So it, it, it does go to your case that, you know, is this, a, is this a dull knife that they're yielding in Congress to get compliance out of a president 
that is just basically giving them two middle fingers down Pennsylvania Avenue. I mean, remember, the, the Southern District of New York, for, for, for example, is pursuing a number of uh, lines of investigation against, uh, against, apparently against the Trump Organization uh, uh, and, and against other people close, to the, pre- close to, to the president. They can subpoena stuff, and they, they have power— when they issue a contempt citation, they actually can go get people and lock them up and hold them, if you will, indefinitely until the contempt uh, is resolved. The Congress is, just doesn't have a history of that. And and in this particular case, it, it would be really interesting if they threatened to hold some Deutsche Bank official in contempt and try to send the sergeant at arms of the House of Representatives to go find him, take him into custody, bring him I don't know where. Um, it's not like there's a jail down at the Capitol um, where they could where they could put him. Um, it, it it is so laden with politics. This particular expedition um, uh, in in seeking documents. It's. It's all about the Democrats' uh, efforts, desire, is, understandable. Is it, I mean, when when you look at recent polls, uh, most recent one I've seen, Marist, that says fifty six percent of Americans actually want to see Donald Trump's tax returns and make sure that he's compliant with financial regulations, or I'm sorry, just on the tax returns. Uh, I don't have the numbers for the uh, financials, but 56%, that's, that's, that's a majority of Americans that are saying that, look, I, you know, the president should be compelled to disclose his financial interests. It's a political matter. 56%, whatever the number is, say, we would like to see them. We want to see them. We should see them. We demand to see them. Fine. In 2020, there's going to be a chance to for you to exercise uh, your your complaint with that if you feel strongly enough about it. It's not a requirement. It's a political it, it had become a political imperative until 2016 when the president basically said, well, he 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 was very misleading when he said, they're under audit. I can't release them. Well, that wasn't true. You can release them even He's if they're under audit. He's been saying that for four years. And it, has, and it didn't cost him in 2016. It was not a major issue in 2018. Just because 56%, 66 76 86 96% of the people want to see it doesn't mean that there's a legal requirement for him to do it. It's, it, it's a political judgment that he has made so far it has worked out for him. But is... is is it working out for him because of the six? You know, people see the economy being so strong. Going, hey, you know what? I really don't care. The economy's good. My paycheck's up. Uh, we've got low unemployment. We just the, they just announced this past week uh, new uh, economic growth numbers. Yep, America saw three and a half percent growth. Three point two. Three point two percent. My my correct. They were expecting corrected. it to be under About, three. Yeah, they were expecting it to be somewhere in the area of like two point seven, two nine, maybe. I heard depending on who you're talking to. The reality is that the economy's good. Unemployment's down at three. We've got virtual, you know, virtual total employment. Uh, is this a matter of we just don't care as long as the money's good? If the money goes to tank, then they start crying? Well, 
So, so the the strength of the economy is critically important. Um, the 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 border issues are beginning to turn in the direction of the president, notwithstanding his truly ugly rhetoric um, and misleading uh, conversation about it, because the numbers are so high now. Um, but but it it doesn't. My point is. It doesn't matter what percentage of the people think they should see the president's tax returns in terms of what the law or the Congress can can require. The Congress is trying to use this 1932 law or whatever that was that that allows the chairman to, to, to get it. And the president's resisting. That will probably get litigated in the courts because I don't see the administration coming around and they may the, the Congress may sue the Treasury Secretary because he's the one that sits that oversees the IRS. But do you agree with Hogan Gindley, uh Deputy President Secretary for the White House, when he says the public has no right to see these? I, in my judgment, the, the 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 public has no right to see these. That is correct. And when I say right, I mean a legal right. If 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 it becomes politically damaging and something that affects people's votes, then then any politician who wants to survive is going to decide legal requirement notwithstanding that he better provide that information the pre- this president has showed you don't have to share them you don't have to do it and you can get away with it 56% of the people saying we'd like to see it doesn't mean 56% of the people is going to vote on that issue they're much more likely to say i'd like to see it this is my view okay i'd like to see it i think it's appropriate to see it i think that the president do you should think that have a, them. do you think that there is enough uh, support to for Congress to create a law making it mandatory that a president can no, no, not with not now. The president would veto it. So, so <laughs> right now, maybe sometime in the future, when we're not talking about this president at this point in time, but the the, the well, what about the, the argument? What, I mean, what about the argument that Jerry Nadler's made and uh, Maxine Waters has made, saying that the law is there, that there is the 1930-something law that says that the Treasury has to supply it upon request. So, so this for, is obviously going to go to court. That's what I said. Yeah. It's going to go to court. It'll get resolved down the road after 2020. Um, you don't think the Supreme Court would take this on now? Well, it 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 takes a while. First of all, you no, have to I, have a lawsuit, right? And then you have to have a federal judge who makes the judgment. Then you have to have well, a, a Trump has already have, sued on the Deutsche Bank Capital One. Don't conflate these right, two. I, I hear you. I hear you. I hear on you. On the tax returns, it you 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 need two levels of courts to have made a judgment, and nobody's even filed a lawsuit yet on that. Yeah. So all I'm saying is, it takes too long. It, it will. It, you don't it think has that to, we would see this before the election cycle? I don't think you'd see a. I don't think you'd see a Supreme Court have it and decide it. Before 2020. Uh, before 2020. That's on the, on the tax returns. On the other, supposedly, Deutsche Bank gets a subpoena and it wants to... It, Do it, the right thing. Well, it, whatever it thinks the right thing is, it thinks it has a legal duty. And Deutsche Bank has had plenty of other uh, issues of, 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 eth- mean, if, of ethical but behavior. But I mean, if you're Deutsche Bank and you get a piece of paper that has the word subpoena on it from the U.S. government... 
aren't you going to comply if you want to have any inkling of doing business in the U.S.? Well, all the all the reports that are out there are that Deutsche Bank was preparing to respond. Now, preparing to respond was was not something they were going to do in 20 minutes right. or a couple of days. We're but talking tr- about Trump, massive volumes and at which point Trump did what he needed to do which was true. which which was go <laughs> to court to stop the bank from providing that information and and there you'll get a federal judge who will presumably but I don't know this say uh, yes or no, you've, you've, you've got to stop until we can hear both sides or make a judgment. And then it gets kicked to, to the Court of Appeals, and then it conceivably gets kicked to the Supreme Court. The president's not, if he loses at federal district but court, it, is, is not going to stop fighting is this. Is this a matter of, at a time when, when the, the thirst for solid transparency in the White House... Is is that being, for lack, I'm not going to use, I, I am going to use this word, is that being trumped by the president's rights as a, I mean, although president, he still has his civil rights that he he is he's still a citizen. He's totally within his rights to, to object to this. Um, for, for me... The, this, but you the, see where the optics on this are bad for Trump, uh, the, the, or do we the, care? The optics on all of this stuff are not nearly as bad for the president as many of us thought they would be, starting with the tax returns. This is sort of a new piece, a new chapter. They're saying, okay, notwithstanding the fact that the Southern District is looking at all sorts of stuff, including uh, uh, financial documents, notwithstanding that Mueller was able to get a lot of this stuff, now the Congress... The Democrats in the House of Representatives on these committees um, uh, on a purely partisan basis said, we want to see it. We want it. And I think there's a fair amount of sympathy for a president resisting that, whatever the legal outcome ultimately is. There's a lot and and the public cares a lot less about the Deutsche, Deutsche Bank and Capital One records for him and his family, which does sound like like an intrusive thing than they do about the tax returns, and they don't care that much about the tax hey, returns. You see, that's what that's what gets me is the president could literally look like a rock star if he said, you know what, screw it, here are my tax returns, the banking stuff, Justin, I'm going to fight Justin, tooth and nail. Justin, 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 what? how does he look like a rock star when he puts forward tax returns, the contents of which... He wants to conceal. You don't look like a rock star when you put stuff out there that puts a lie to many of the things that you've said about how high so your saying, income so is, wait, how much money you give to charity, the kinds of issues that, that are the easiest to So what you're telling me out. is that the president has literally painted himself into a political corner on this. He has not. He got elected president. He didn't show his tax returns it didn't matter at the end of the day, and people are not. Cl- and that has clamoring. not changed in the past twenty-four months, thirty-six months. I don't think so. I th- I thought it was going to be a big deal the first time around. Now it's less. It's not a non-deal. It's just less of a deal now to me than it was then. I could be wrong about that. I mean, maybe there'll be a poll that says, do you, how, do you feel more or less strong today about seeing the president's tax returns? And maybe a, a majority will say, I feel stronger than I did. But 
But he he has been the Teflon president on many issues, including this one. I never, ever would have guessed that the public wouldn't have cared that much. Right. And, and there are plenty of people who feel... But that, that, wave could, that wave could go either way on any given day. Well, if, if we discover some weird, bizarre financial thing, you know, people like are... Lying, like lying on bank reports to go get financial loans? Well, so that's all... Because that's be, not weird? No, no. So, so that's all going to be coming out in the Southern District of New York, right. where he's charged with bank fraud, so that will that that will be pursued up there with all the legal protections right. that are appropriate in a case like that. It it and, and that strikes mm-hmm. me as the right place to do it. You're not right. not in a Senate uh, right. House, House committee. Rob, uh, Rob, the engineer is about to use his oversight authority. He's going to ask for our tax, our tax returns. No. Yes? No? Yeah, yeah. Let's see it. Yeah, you know, boring. no chance. Boring. Let's no, see yeah, it. boring. Yeah. 1099 easy is not nearly as exciting. Rob the Engineer, thanks for keeping us behind the glass. Thank you, Justin. On behalf of... Oh, Charlie Bernie, thank you, the, our host here at Podcast Village. Thank you, as always, Alan Moore. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. You can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politic. You can also download us on all of your favorite podcast uh, services, and you can also follow us at backroompolitics.org. Uh, we will be seeing you later on this week. Have a great week, America. Bye bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.